Well, like I said a moment ago, I think we're in church today. This is a, a beautiful day in the life of this congregation. It's Mother's Day. I know you know that, and we're celebrating, of course, with mothers. But I want you to know, Kate gave an absolutely beautiful prayer this morning at the 915 service, recognizing both the joy on this day for so many, and for some, it is also a difficult one. Perhaps your relationship with your mother was broken, or perhaps you were not able to bring a child in for whatever reason. For some, this is a difficult day, and we, so we bring both our, our joys and our sorrows to the altar before God, placing ourselves there. I do want to tell you a little bit about my mom. She can't be here next Sunday for the installation service. I think she's coming in the fall, and you'll get to meet her. She's, she's wild and crazy and wonderful. If you want to know what my mom is thinking on any particular day, just go to the, the First Community Church's Facebook page, <laughs> where my mom posts all the time. I, I'm not quite sure that she realizes, I'm not sure she realizes that anyone and everyone can read what she's saying because she's saying most of it to me. <laughs> a couple of Sundays ago, she wrote on there, she went on to Facebook after the, the worship service. She watches us live. In fact, she's on right now. I don't know which camera where I'd say, but hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> nice to see you. I got to let you know, though, a couple weeks ago, she came on and she said, she said, well, the sermon was pretty good. <laughs> pretty good? What do you, Mom, pretty good. <laughs> And then she said, but I'm worried your voice sounded really raspy. Are you okay? I just, mom, the whole world is seeing what you're writing here. And yes, I'm fine. We're going to be fine. So someday you'll, you'll get to meet her. And she is, she is an absolute delight and an inspiration to me in ways that I'll tell you more about later. But truly a, a great, great woman who still gives her life and her joy away to the church and to all she meets. Let's pause for just a moment before we begin this sermon, please. God, open our minds and hearts that we might be warmed by your call upon our lives. Bless our souls and even our bodies that we might be ready to give ourselves away in service to you in the name of the one whose love lasts forever. Amen. In J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Return of the King, Aragorn, the future king, says to Lady Eowyn, Lady, are you afraid? Eowyn responds, I'm afraid of the cage. I'm afraid of the cage I might find myself in. I'm afraid of becoming comfortable with the bars, so much so that I do not seek to do anything great with my life. I'm certain that the greatest fears we face are not death and dying, not sorrow and grief, not even public speaking, which according to some polls is number one among most. No, I think we're most afraid of that 3 a.m. moment when we wonder, is this all there is? Getting all I can, keeping all I can until my death, is that it? I think most of us are afraid of the cage that we face. Are there bars that you are being held back by, that you're so, you're so used to you no longer even care that you're locked away? Has your chance to, to love deeply, to live courageously, been taken away by a cage that you built yourself around your soul? Perhaps this morning, though, fear can be a gift to us. Perhaps our fear 
can be the fulcrum that we use to lift that cage and push it aside so that we can embrace the one life that God has given us. Richard Rohr is the one who says, instead of running from your fear, face it and ask it directly, what are you trying to teach me? Another way has said, fear doesn't shut you down, it wakes you up. The Bible from beginning to end, some have said 365 times, as though it's meant to be repeated day after day after day every year. Do not be afraid. We heard it this morning in the reading. Jeremiah, he's just a kid, just a boy, just a youth, has received a call to ministry. He's a preacher's kid, though, and he's seen religion at its best, and he's seen it at its worst, and as though, it seems as though he's saying to God, thank you, but, but no thanks. I've been there and done that. I don't want to have anything to do with religion. Thank you very much, but God won't leave it there. God makes sure that Jeremiah, this kid, maybe a ninth grader, tenth grader, that this kid knows that no matter what you face in life, I will be with you. You will not be alone. You see, here's, here's a lesson for us. I hear Jeremiah's plaintive cry, and I hear it in a, as a reflection of my own boys. They're in their 20s now, but still, I want, to, I want to protect. I want to keep them safe. I want to keep Jeremiah safe from criticism and difficulty and a hard road. God hears it and reminds Jeremiah instead of God's presence and the promise that even when things are hard, I'll be there with you. I, I think we've raised a generation or two now with the more than perfectly fine goal of keeping them safe and happy. Those are two things I wanted to do for my boys, for sure. I wanted them happy and safe. But I'm wondering now if it isn't time to challenge both ourselves and our youth to take a step, to leave fear behind, to face life, and to give themselves fully to the needs of the world in which we find ourselves. I, I want to say, oh, be careful. Sit back, be safe. God says, no, let them soar, let them fall, but let them find the courage they need to soar again. Let them soar, let them fall, and let them soar again. Jeremiah's day was a difficult one. There was all kinds of political intrigue. They were at war at times with various countries around them. At one point, the king of Judah was pretty much a puppet of, of the pharaoh in Egypt. At another point, another king was a puppet of the, of the king of Babylon. The rich are getting richer on the backs of the poor. It's a terrible and difficult time to be a preacher. But God knows. God knows that maybe what God needs to do is reach into the youth group of all places and pull someone out who's not been jaded by life and send him out onto the streets and the highways, wherever he can go, and proclaim this word of God's love for the world. God goes after someone who won't be held back by fear and a desire to, to keep the status quo in place. Was it an easy message to preach? No, it was not. But it was the truth. And as Jesus said 800 years after Jeremiah, the truth will, what was it? Set you free. Set you free. I have a good friend who failed miserably a couple of years ago. He broke the vows of his marriage. He and I met for a cup of coffee to talk about it. He went on for 20 or 30 minutes, explaining all the various details and things that were going on in his life and how confusing it was and how hard it was. And, and I listened to court because I'm ordained to listen. Sat there for a while. And then I looked at him and said, what's the truth? And he said, the truth is, I can't hardly look at myself in the mirror. I smiled. 
and said, you've just taken a step toward a new life, toward the freedom of living fully that God wants you to have. We don't need happiness so much as we need truth, the reality of the world that we live in. You know, I've done a lot of reading about the church these days and, and where our next steps need to take us. Two themes continually pop up. Number one is don't be, don't be too inwardly focused. Don't look so inward and try to solve all your problems that you have and forget that you've actually been called by God to go out into the world. That's the first thing. The second, the second is the churches that are going to thrive in the next generation to come needs to listen to our young people. The church that's going to move forward faithfully into the future needs to let folks like these young people right here guide us, strengthen us, and encourage us. It's their voices and their ideas to which we need to listen, to which we're called to listen. There's no surprise there, but the implication is this. We're going to have to get used to change. What exactly? I have no idea. I don't have a plan. No, of course not. I want to listen to them and to all of you as we move forward into whatever God's marvelous future might be. Several years ago in the church I was serving, we interviewed a young uh, seminary graduate, was in his 30s, early 30s, who we were interviewing as a youth director at the church. We were a little concerned though, because he graduated from a very conservative uh, evangelical seminary, and we wanted to be sure, he was interviewing great, everything we saw in him was wonderful, but we wanted to be sure that he was fully accepting of the LGBT community. So we kind of had some questions where we wandered around the side a little bit, seeing if we could get him to say something so we could reveal what his views were. Well, he figured out what we were doing, and he kind of went, oh, now I see what you're doing. Of course I welcome gays and lesbians. Anybody under 30 does that. doesn't matter what school you went to. Don't worry about that. But, he said, let me ask you this. Are you ready to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Are you ready to do whatever it takes to let love guide you? Are you ready to go out into the streets with your message of grace and give it to anyone and everyone? Are you ready to do it? He got the job. (laughs) Are we ready? Are we ready to do whatever it takes to move our ministry forward? And then not only the church, but what about you in your life? I don't care if you're eight or 88. Are you ready to do whatever it takes to receive whatever's next? Are are you choosing to live or are you choosing to stay in your comfortable cage? Are, are, are Are you ready to give yourself away fully or are you just sitting back? I recall a late night conversation I had with my son, Nate, several years ago. Nate's 27, he'll be here next week also. When he was a senior in high school, though, he was really into, into philosophy and reading serious hard folks like Nietzsche and Kierkegaard. Well, one night I came home late after a long day. I'd been at the church early in the morning, late into the night. It's about 9, 9.30 when I finally got home. And he was sitting on the couch reading some Kierkegaard. He said, Dad, you, you studied Kierkegaard, didn't you, in, in seminary? I said, uh-huh. Can I watch the baseball game? I just... <laughs> We'll watch the baseball game. Can I? Well, but Dad, and he started going on about Kierkegaard and all this, and we had a pretty good conversation, but I really wasn't paying that close attention, and I was feeling bad for doing so, but I was tired, and we're not. Finally, he just stopped and said, Dad, what are you afraid of? Well, I went into my study. I opened up my laptop. I turned it on. I turned it on to the word processing. I pointed at the cursor. You know, a little blinking cursor? You know what I'm talking about? The little blinking cursor there. And I said, you see that? That's what scares me more than anything. That blank page. That blinking cursor. I'm worried, I'm scared sometimes in the middle of the night that I'll never have anything else to say. I'm afraid of failure. He just shook his head, he said, that's it? That's it? That's your big fear? What about your life? What about giving your life to something that matters? What about giving yourself, 
getting up out of your easy chair and, and going out into the world and making a difference. Is, that's really what ought, ought to be motivating you. Aren't you afraid that you're not living your life fully? The preacher's kid <laughs> preached a pretty good sermon to the preacher. He went to his room then, and he came back downstairs with the Tao Te Ching. I told you he's into philosophy. He quoted these words to me from Lao Tzu. Being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. The invitation is given to us to live fully in the light of God's love for us. We named him Nathaniel, which means gift of God. We might have needed to have named him Jeremiah. I thought of that story as I read Rob Bell's book last week, How to Be Here. He used the cursor image too. He writes, your blinking line, your blinking cursor is whatever sits in front of you waiting to be brought into existence. What is it for you? A call you know you need to make? A letter you should have written long ago to someone who wronged you. So deeply the wound is still felt. Or maybe to someone you wronged who needs to hear your confession. What is it at your blinking line? What about you and your life that is, being wait, is waiting to be brought in the light of day? I do have some good news this morning. The kids who are filling our sanctuary this morning are the ones who are going to help us move our church forward. Some of them, probably most of them, have no idea that this is about to happen, but maybe one or two or three of them even is sensing the call of God's of God's ministry right now. Maybe 23 of them or 33 of them are sensing that in some way they can give themselves to this church and by doing so they're giving themselves to the world. That's why we'll need to listen to them. You see, because the children, the youth group, they're not the future of the church, they're the church right now. They are the church right now. And what about you? Are you ready for whatever is next? Are you ready to move forward on the path named today? We must speak the truth about this path, though. It's not easy. God's, God's pathway sometimes is difficult and hard. I have a friend who's a nurse. She spent a couple of months in Haiti a few years ago, right after the earthquake. She said it ruined her life. I asked why. She said, because every day now I wake up and I wonder what else could I do for my friends in Haiti. Every day. Yes, it's a difficult, a difficult path to follow when God calls, but the promise is true enough. God will be with us. In fact, do you know that many scholars today believe that the name Yahweh, the name for God, Yahweh, is actually the sound of breathing. You breathe in, Yah, and you breathe out, Weh, Yahweh. Is there breath in your lungs right now? Then the promise is that that is God's very presence in you. No matter what you face, wherever it may be, that you are going. God promises to be with you, even in the very breath you breathe. And so we gather here on a Sunday morning to really remind ourselves of two things. Number one, God is indeed present with us. God is here and in this place and is with us always. Number two, we gather to encourage each other to be there in a way that says, yes, if you're stumbling, I'll help you. If you're celebrating, I'll smile with you. To remind ourselves that we are not alone. God is with us, and we are here with each other and for each other. It's a lesson that changed my life. When Julie was pregnant with our second child, 
we learned some difficult news. It was early in the pregnancy, very early. She'd had some tests done, though. And the doctor said, I, I'm very concerned. We think the child may be born with some severe mental disabilities, some severe physical problems, terrible ones. And we're concerned about you and your health, Julie, they said. You, you may need to terminate this, this pregnancy. Well, we went home after that news, and we sat on our couch, and we, I don't mind telling you, we just, we just sobbed. We just wept. Julie had already been through three miscarriages. We had one, one boy. He was four years old. He was full of life and vigor and energy, and he was wonderful, and he needed a brother or a sister. And we'd prayed for it. We'd asked God to help us finally have a safe and healthy pregnancy, and now this. We wandered into the night. We wrestled with what to do, what to say. And, and, and by the way, can I make this as, as clearly as, say this as, as, as clearly as possible? In that moment when we were worrying about whether we should terminate the pregnancy or bring this child into the world, we were not worried about politics. We weren't worried about pro-choice or, or pro-life or this vote or that vote or something else. It wasn't political. It was personal. Maybe someday in this country we can have a conversation, a hard conversation, but a serious conversation about how personal this issue is. We didn't sleep much. We woke the next morning, though, and we made a list of all the things we'd have to do if we brought this child in. I was stuck. I still couldn't, I still didn't know what to say or do. And Julie said, you know what? We're going to bring this baby, no matter what happens with it. We're going to love it, and we're going to do it not, not because we know what to do, but because we're surrounded by a church, and we're surrounded by family, and we're surrounded by friends, and together we can bring this baby into the world. Seven months later, he was born, and he's as healthy as can be, physically and mentally, well, mentally mostly. <laughs> he's a senior at University of Missouri, Kansas City. He's a theater major. He's an extremely bright kid, wonderful as can be. You'll see him next week when he's here. In that moment, when we held that little boy in our arms, the world stopped as we cried again. But this time, they were tears of joy, knowing that we were not alone. Life in the kingdom of God is not easy. When there are tears and fears and sadnesses, we wonder. But the promise of God is, is if we will leave our fear behind, God's love and grace will be there to embrace us and welcome us in this life and the life to come, giving us the courage we need to love deeply and live fully. Amen.